Welcome to Raising the Standard, the radio and podcast ministry for the Richmond House of Prayer. We pray the music and the message will be a blessing to you today. Came to give him glory tonight. 
It's morning at last, no longer in sin I'll bow. All wanderings are done, my life crown is won. I'm living the right life now. Let's sing it. Well, I say glory to God, I've been Glory to God, I've been
Some of you is out there singing. Instead of saying, I'm happy. I'm happy. How many can say, I'm happy and whole? Got peace in my soul. To touch somebody and say, I'm living the right life now. Woo! Hallelujah. Yeah. I seen something the other day where somebody was in a mall and it was kind of a fast song playing like over the PA and this couple just kind of stopped and laid their stuff down and started dancing right out in the middle of the mall. And I'm just, it was like a middle-aged couple. I mean, they, you know, they weren't great dancers, but they were just enjoying the moment. And uh, next thing you know, there were several more that just kind of laid their stuff down. I, somebody could have took off with their goods. But they was just all out there in the mall dancing and I thought, now that's the world. Hello. And we come in here singing, well, I'm happy and whole. I got joy down in my soul. And if we ain't careful, we sit around. How many is happy tonight? Come on. Hallelujah. How many say I'm happier than I deserve to be tonight? Since Jesus came into my life. Amen. I feel like shouting tonight. You young people feel like shouting? I see you standing over there. Well, come on. And I'm not fussing them because I, I watched them over, I think it was last week tonight. They was getting in. There was some of them doing that, you know, bucking like a Pentecostal. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Listen, let's have church while we're in here. Turn around and touch two people and say, it's all right to shout. Tell them, say, it's all right to shout on a Wednesday night. How many's glad you're saved on a Wednesday night? How many's glad you're filled with the Holy Ghost on a Wednesday night?
sharing something. That just stirred me right there. I'm living the right life now. See, because once upon a time, there was 13 years of my life, I lived in darkness. All those pleasures of sin that black within, that's it, the place that I was at. But did Jesus shine his light oh, into yeah. my heart and into my life? And now, I see, when you, when you accept Jesus into your heart, you become a new creature. That old man dies, and you're raised again to a newness of life. I took off the old coat. I put on the new. I put on Jesus Christ. I put on his righteousness. Not my righteousness, but his. That is what God sees. He sees the blood of Jesus covering this black heart that once was living out in this world. Come on, brother. And see, I'm living the right life now. I've got a seven-year-old son. And you know, he's a boy. And he's going to mess up. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to tell some lies. And he's going to get in trouble. And I'm going to have to discipline him. Which means short version. Short version is I'm going to have to whoop his hind end. And I had to whoop him yesterday because he told a little lie about something that he said that he did. But he actually didn't do it. So I had to, I whooped him. And as he was, he was crying, I was loving on him. I was loving on him. I was telling him, Daddy loves you. No, you're going to mess up. But you know, I whoop you because I love you. The Lord chastises me because he loves me. If I didn't love you, I would let you do whatever you wanted to. And I was explaining. Explaining all that to him, and then it hit me. I was like, Elijah, I was like, if you try every day to always make the right choice, what's going to be the outcome of that? He said, I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> I was like, exactly right. And God touched me. He's like, what are you going to do with your life? Whenever you always make the right choice and you live the best that you can for me and you make the right choices that I want you to make, I'm not going to have to chastise you. You're going to be on the path that I set you on. So always strive. Young people, there's going to be so many decisions to face on, in it, this world that you're living in and stuff that we didn't ever have to deal with. Mm -hmm. But you're having to deal with it. But just keep that in your head. If you've got Jesus in here, if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you, guiding you and directing you, think about that. If I always make the right choice, I'm not going to get in trouble. I tell those guys in jail, if you always make the right choice when you get out of here, instead of doing the same old thing that you always did, you're not going to end up in jail again. So guys, I just want to leave you with that. Make the right choice because you're living the right life now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I got a text message yesterday from somebody. At first, I didn't recognize who it was. And it just said, I love you. I hope you're doing well. And I didn't know who it was. I texted back and said, well, I appreciate that, but who are you? I don't recognize the number. And then he just went into this long thing about how he had gotten away from God, how they got too far out there for about two years and didn't know if he could get back. Then he said, I had both legs broke. And he said, it got me to a place where I had to listen. And I was like, wow. And so as spiritual as I am, I texted back and I said, how did you break your legs, dude? And you know what he said? He said, no, no, no. The shepherd broke my legs, spiritually speaking, so I couldn't run off anymore. And then I knew what he was talking about. And he said, I'll see you Sunday. I have to work tomorrow night, but I'll see you Sunday. Because he says, I've got to get close to God again. And I was thinking, isn't it good to just make good decisions and just follow on to know the Lord? I'm just glad you followed on to know Him. I mean, when I got saved, what a wonderful experience. But then I wanted to know more about Him. So I learned more and I studied more and I prayed more and I obeyed more. And I, I like what Brian said. We make mistakes and we mess up. I've been glad that as long as we're striving to walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Come on. 
and the blood of his son is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'm not preaching yet. This is not my message. This is just for somebody. The blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we walk with him. So let's just let him have his way tonight. Amen. God wants to help somebody tonight. I really believe that. Amen. worship in church.
singers and musicians, you may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He loves us. Can you say amen? What a great truth. We welcome you tonight into the service, into the presence of God. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come. Could you just raise your hands for a moment? And just tell him, say, Lord, I love you. I love you. Tell him from your heart, and I'm so glad you came tonight. Thank you, Lord, for coming. You came by, you came to see us. 
to visit us, to move on us. I said this Sunday morning, I was praying Sunday morning at the house, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm coming by this morning. And it's, I thought, wow. I mean, he always comes. I mean, he's always here. But then Sunday morning, it was like I preached that 9 o'clock service, and, you know, I preached it, and it was okay. But then at 11, it seemed like he just came by. He just showed up, and things went differently, and it was so good and a great move of God. And how many loves it when God shows up, when he comes? You know, I know he's everywhere, and uh, yet it's his manifest presence, his glory, uh, the kabod we're talking about, and uh, that weighty, tangible presence of God. I remember many years ago I was pastoring, and and uh, uh, I believe it was before we'd started the house of prayer, and I was still working in the factory. And man, they were working me to death. I was working 12 hours a day, and I ran a printing press and set up printing presses, and it was a skilled job, and wasn't a lot of us that could do it, and so I was kind of in demand. I guess I should have asked them for more money, but uh, I was working a lot of hours. And one morning, I was just really worn out. I went to work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I was supposed to get off at 11, and they insisted that I stayed till 3 o'clock the next morning, and I'd been doing that. I was tired. And I was driving home, and I was just so fatigued. And spiritually, I felt like I was being drained. Well, I just, about the time I got on the interstate in Lexington at exit 115, I just had really entered into a season of prayer. And all of a sudden, it's like somewhere about Clay's Ferry, it's like something just got in the car with me. It's like the presence of God was surreal. It's almost like I could feel him breathing on my neck. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I was afraid to look in the rearview mirror, afraid I might see him and die. It was that strong. And, man, he just came to me that night. And I was supposed to get off at Richmond, and I found myself at Berea before I knew it, just lost in the presence of God and the Holy Ghost. So they just gave me some extra miles to enjoy it. So I made a loop and came back and shouted all the way home, amen, in the presence of God. And it was life-changing. I didn't say that to just make you think I had some kind of spooky experience. It was, it was manifest presence. It was life-changing. It's like God began to move for me from that moment on in very powerful ways. And, and so down through these years, uh, I, I heard Gene Rice, who was a great old Church of God preacher, many years ago at the Church of God camp meeting in Lexington, they always have the same speaker for the whole week generally. But there was one night that their speaker couldn't be there, so they brought in Gene Rice. And if you ever knew about Brother Gene, he was one of the great ones. He was one of them. He's in heaven now. But he preached that night uh, from John's gospel about the second time that Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room after the resurrection. The first time, if you remember, Thomas wasn't there. And they told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he said, it's, except I can put my finger in his hands and, and, his, and the wounds and thrust my hand in his side. Unless I see the evidence, I just won't believe it. Well, then it says, and again, they were in the upper room and Jesus appeared to them. And you know the story. He spoke to them. First time he breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. That was 
That's a, that's a whole message right there. But then the second time he came and he told Thomas, he said, put your finger there. Pull back his ropes, put your hand in there. He said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. This is God, this is me. And Thomas said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said, because you've seen, you believe, but blessed rather are they that have not seen and yet believed. But Brother Rice preached that night simply on the word again. And he'd been in the ministry many, many years. He said, I started here, and I'm going there, and I'm probably about here. But he said, over these years, there's been those times that he came again and again and again. And man, by the time that man of God got done preaching, it made me realize that God hadn't left us in this thing to leave us. He's going to come by every now and then. Can you say, man, he's glad of that. You're going to go to prayer, and you're going to your prayer closet, and you're going to start praying your, your normal routine, and all of a sudden, you're going into another realm because that's what he does. Amen. He shows up. Praise God. How many is happy tonight? Amen. Uh, God is good. Uh, I was looking for Sister Moody. I thought she was going to be here. Uh, she got really sick on me last night, was sick all night long, and uh, she only slept about an hour. She might be asleep right now. But the last time I saw her, she said, I'll see you at church. But I thank the Lord she's better this morning. I just want to give him praise for that. And uh, just want to praise him for all that he's doing. God's doing good things. Can you say amen? How many can say amen? God's doing good things. How many knows he's a good God? How many's glad that he's got you? How many's not going to trade him in for another God? No, he's, he's, he's the one. Stand with me. I'm going to Isaiah chapter 2. I'm going to read five verses and preach a little while this morning. I need you to understand that Isaiah has been called a microcosm of the entire Bible. The Bible is 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And Isaiah is 66 chapters. 39 of those chapters deal with warnings and judgments. Primarily in the last 27 deal with grace and the coming Messiah. By and large, there's other things interjected in there, but basically that's it. And so in Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord, he, he really begins to deal with uh, Isaiah complains about Judah, about the corruption, about he, he tries to get them to repent. He, he, he promises them things. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they'll be white like wool. They'll be red like crimson. They'll be white as snow. If you do this, you'll eat the good of the land. If you don't, God's going to beat you down, going to destroy you by the hands of enemies. And so then in chapter 2, Isaiah says this. He says, the word that Isaiah the son of Amoz saw wasn't just something he heard, he saw it. It was a revelation from God concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Notice what he says. It'll come to pass, amen, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, high above everything else, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. How many remembers reading in Daniel about the stone that was hewn out of the mountain, destroyed those kingdoms, those uh, those uh, uh, empires those that had you know, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and finally in the last days, the Antichrist Empire. And then that stone 
that was cut without hands became an exceeding great mountain. It was talking about Jesus and became the one that the world would worship. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and uh, let us go that, that up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares or into, into plows, and they shall beat their swords into, into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks or sharp knives that would be used to trim the vines. Nation shall not lift up the sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. And then in verse number five, he says, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I want to read one more verse from Matthew chapter six and verse number 33. You can probably quote it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. First, first, somebody say first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his holiness, what pleases him, what he wants. Amen. And all these things then that Jesus was talking about, provisions and needs for the body, for life, for the things of pleasure, all of those things will be added to you. I... Uh, this week in just my own personal study, the Lord began to deal with me. And uh, from these writings, he was trying to tell Israel, you're in mess because of bad choices and of wrong priorities. And then he said, but if you'll come and see what God is showing me, what I saw, if you'll return, there's a blessing that's coming. And then Jesus said, if you seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the Lord began to deal with me and I've just done a little study this week on the principle of priority. I want to deal with the principle of priorities. How many knows that whether we're aware of it or not, we have priorities in our life? There are things that are of necessity more essential than other things. If we neglect the real priorities of life, We'll make shipwreck. In Bible college, there was a professor one time that wanted to make an illustration. He took a large jar with a wide mouth on it, and he put had some big stones laying there, and he put every one that he could put in there, and he shifted them around and just kept putting them in there until he couldn't put any more stones in it. And he said, so how many of you believe that this jar is full of stones now? Almost all of them raised their hand. Well, then he went over and he had a, a little box that had some gravel in it, fine gravel. And he went over and he started pouring gravel into that and shaking it. And the gravel, you know, it sifted down. And finally, he just kept shaking it and pouring it until it got full. He said, how many believe it's full now? And a few of them were on to him and some of them raised their hands. Then he had a bag of sand. And he took sand and he started pouring it and he kept shaking it and bumping it. And the sand started filtering down through the gravels and the rocks. And finally, he couldn't get any more sand in it. And he said, now, how many believe that this jar is full? And almost all of them raised their hand. 
Then he walked by over where they couldn't see it, and he had a jug of water. And he brought water, and he started pouring water. And the water filtered down, and he poured almost all of that water, and it came to the top. And he said, so who thinks they understand the point of my illustration? One young man with a head full of mush raised his hands. And he said, there's always room for something else in our life. That's the point, he said, no. He said, the point is, if you take care of the big things first, then you can work the little stuff in. That's the principle of priority, can you say amen? The big things, my relationship with God. Amen. My family, my ministry, my health. And then way down the line somewhere, material things, entertainment, stuff like that. So I want to preach tonight on the principle of priority. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray your blessing and uh, your word just speak to us and through us. And, and you've humbled me with this, God. And um, I want to just project that, that the will of God is preeminent and is the priority in my life. Let your will be done. And everybody said, amen, amen. The truth is that the gospel, in fact, all of God's word is very humbling when we hear and understand it. The gospel, the word of God, is filled with his goodness, but it's also filled with his severity. The goodness of God is so rich Paul said, do you despise the riches of his goodness and his forbearance, his patience with you and long-suffering, not knowing that it's, what's this, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not always the goodness of God that makes me feel puffed up and proud and, and just a little bit cocky, can you say amen? God's been good to me and uh, I... You know, I meet people all the time. How you doing? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, good. I'm happy. I am too. But, but how you doing in your walk right now? How are you doing in your life? And and uh, you know, I, I believe in the you know the power of positive confession. But sometimes I believe in a reality check too. Can you say Amen? Sometimes the Bible said they that live godly will suffer persecution. Jesus said, be careful when everybody talks good about you. Come on, if somebody ain't ragging on you and the devil ain't hammering on you, you may not be living right. Is that okay? Amen. So don't, you know, don't worry because somebody's being mean. Some people are mean because they're just mean. Amen. One of the greatest problems I think facing the human race today is, is loftiness of spirit or pride. The Bible said in Proverbs 16 and 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I was thinking about David when he became finally ascended to the throne. When he was a shepherd, he fought off lions and bears and killed giants. When he killed Goliath and it brought about promotion, 
and all of the things they said you would get the king's daughter, you get to marry the king's daughter. And that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? How many know she was a pain in the neck? I would say the pain in the neck. Amen. She resisted many times what God was doing with David. Another time she tried to protect him. Saul, who, who would let David play the harp and with his anointing drive out demons, would later throw javelins at him and try to kill him. I think 21 times. And so then David becomes king and he's winning battles and, and man, things are going his way. In fact, one time things were going so good that David began to feel, you know, I'm it. So he told Joab, he said, go out and number my army and tell me how many there are. And I don't remember the number right off. It was somewhere way up 600 and some thousand soldiers, men ready to war. And when David heard the number for a split second, there was this exhilaration. And then all of a sudden, there was conviction. He felt guilty. And God spoke to him and said, pride has gotten your heart and you think you're all that and this army is all that. I'm gonna show you something. You choose your punishment. Will it be that you flee before your enemies for three months? Will it be that, that a, a disease plague will come? You know, what, what, what's it going to be that you choose for your punishment? And David said, don't let me fall into the hand of my enemies, but let me be at the mercy of God. And all of a sudden, a plague began to sweep through the land and 70,000 of his soldiers died because of his pride and his bad decision. He knows that's pretty heavy, pretty awful. So David cries out to God and God stops the hand of the destroyer. But David knows there's more. I need to make a sacrifice. I have to, I, there has to be bloodshed for my sin to cover it. He goes in 2 Kings 24 to the threshing floor of a man by the name of Arona. And David goes there to use that threshing floor. There's no instruments, no trees around. He wants to use his instruments of wood to build the fire, to burn the sacrifice, to appease the heart of God because the goodness of God, even though it was severe, now has brought him to a place of repentance. And in verse number 21 David, Arona saw David coming and he said, wherefore is my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing, the threshing floor from you to build an altar unto the Lord and that this plague will be over and, and there'll, there'll be no more of it. And Arona said to David, let the Lord my king take it and offer up what seems good to him. Behold, here's the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and the threshing instruments and other instruments uh, of the oxen for wood. And all these things did Arona as king give unto the king. And Arona said to the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said to Arona, nay, but I'll buy it from you at a price. Neither will I offer a burnt offering unto God, unto the Lord my God, of that which cost me nothing. 
So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver and he built the, uh, to the, unto the Lord a, an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and the Lord was entreated and the scripture said and the land that was, uh, was uh, spared and the plague was stayed from Israel. When I, when I read that, I thought, wow, here's a man that God says is a man after my own heart. And I, I want to tell you that in my own life, there's been times when pride or feeling more, the Bible said not to think of ourselves no highly than we ought to. The scripture tells us that, that we not shouldn't because of gifts or callings or, or ministries or the operation of the Holy Ghost try to allow ourselves to be exalted. We should always walk humbly before God. Can I get a witness? And uh, I, I, when I said pride and, and a lofty spirit, they're, they're a problem. And they always seem to keep cropping up. And, and I found out just in my study this week, I think there's a reason for it. I, I think there's a reason why we have to deal with pride sometimes. I read it to you, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. But the problem is that we often try to deal with the fruit rather than getting to the root of the problem. Now, man, I, I know that sounds not very profound, not very theological, but you you got to get the thing up by the root, can you say amen? And the way you do that is through humility. The Bible said in James, humble yourself there under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in, in at the right moment. He'll pick you up from where you are. And I, I thought like this, prideful people, how many know prideful people? Probably thinking about something. Lady, don't look at your husband. Uh, we, we, I'm playing. We know prideful people, amen? And uh, prideful people, I think, are really insecure people. People who boast and brag and always talk themselves up are really masking their insecurities. They, they try to mask their insecurity by pompous-sounding words. To put it another way, the fruit of pride is what the world hears because of what we say. But what the world doesn't see is the insecurity in our hearts, which is the real root of the problem. Can I go a little farther? We can never really deal with pride until we deal with insecurity. What is it that lies behind insecurity? Can I tell you, it's, it's the old problem or the old enemy, the old nemesis that we call fear. Fear has torment. Can you say amen? Fear, God has not given us the spirit of fear. So why is it that at times we're afraid that people will see us as being less than we want them to see us as? We, we really don't want them to see us wrestling with insecurity or fear or battling against the flesh or struggling with what could be. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? 
So all of a sudden, David, instead of leaning on God, Israel, instead of trusting God, he begins to tell them, Isaiah does, how they've turned to other countries and they've, they've gathered up military armaments and they've even looked towards other gods. I want to tell you, God, there's this principle of priority and I love it. <laughs> Are you with me? I, I believe when you start through the Bible, it's everywhere. The first words in the Bible are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I, I believe that, don't you? Hebrews 11 said, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things are not are, are, that, that we see are not as they appear. Are you hearing me? But everything that's made, God made it. In John 1, it said Christ was in the world. He was the word of God that became flesh and he was in the world and the world was made by him. There wasn't anything, say that with me, anything made that he didn't make it. So the priority of my life is my relationship with God. And God so loved the world that he gave his only, 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 only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So the principal priority in my life is I claim Jesus first of all because he'll answer when I call. Can you say amen? I know I have a soul the son set free. Oh, if you believe that, would you give God some praise in this house? <laughs> Woo! You see... We really can't deal with pride and until we deal with insecurity. We can't deal with insecurity until we deal with fear. As born-again believers, can I say this? We are the sons and daughters of the king. We're king's kids, can you say amen? We're sons and daughters of God. Paul said it like this. He said, we are members of the household of God, lively stones, fitly framed together. All, <laughs> woo, man, this is, I'm getting blessed. All I have to do to be happy, all I have to do to be secure, all I have to do is uh, to get to a place where, uh, where Peter said that you'll never fall is to remember the principle of priority. It's Jesus, first of all. He is Lord of my life. Can you say amen? He lives in my heart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives in my heart. He operates in my life. Thank God I'm glad today that the priority of my life is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo, hallelujah. Oh. I don't know if this going to tear y'all up like it did me. I've been shouting all week. So just bear with me. I'm just happy. I've got a little enough sense to be happy about this. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, a, you know, I'm not a genius, but bless God, I, I might be a nut, but I'm screwed on the right bolt. Somebody help me. I know what I'm talking about. I'm happy, praise God. How many is happy in the Lord? How many laughs when you ought to cry? Huh? How many sometimes you cry when you ought to laugh? 
me sometimes you're just driving down the road having yourself a Holy Ghost hoot nanny and people driving by looking at you like, what is wrong with that? Now, Woo, leave me alone. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Lord, have mercy. I, when I got the Holy Ghost, I was working in the factory and I was running that big press and it was longer than, maybe it was long from here to those back doors back there and it was it was probably 10 feet tall and five, six feet wide. Had had six stations that printed different things, different colors or wax on whatever it was on the paper. And I was out there running that press and I just got the Holy Ghost and I was on fire. I mean, and that thing, there was a roar. You had to wear earplugs because it just roared. And I could still hear it. And I'm out there, you know, and I'm just praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm doing my job. And it's like that machine's... It's almost like it's talking in tongues. It's, it's, it's like it's roaring. It's saying, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. You know, next thing you know, it's lost its English. And that machine's talking in tongues, and I'm talking in tongues. And I'm out there shouting, praise God. And I got the, does anybody else get crazy like that? And there was an office right over by us, and that was so loud. I didn't know how loud I got. I'm out there shouting, and directly the secretary comes running out of the office. And she runs over there where I'm at, and I got earplugs in, and all I can see is, and I pulled up my earplugs and she said, what in the world is wrong with you? I said, nothing in the world is wrong with me. What do you mean? I said, I got the Holy Ghost. She did a 180. She ran back to the office. I stuck my earplug back in and went on shouting. Somebody help me. I'm here to tell you it's the principle of priority. He loves me no matter where I'm at. I love him no matter what I'm going through. When I call, he answers. When I walk in the room and shut the door, he says, behold, there I am. I found that to be true. So this principle of priority is, let me hurry the sons and daughters of God. Listen, this, this is where we really get our worth, our sense of self-worth. My, my worth is in Jesus. My righteousness is as filthy rags. But when I'm in Jesus, I follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Holiness doesn't scare me. I love it, hallelujah. And, and some people don't even know what holiness is, but I found out, praise God. It's allowing his nature, his character to be developed inside of me, in my heart. It causes me to talk right, walk right, and spit right. Can you say amen? It <laughs> well, glory to God. I, I, I drink from living fountains of living water. I, somebody said, you think it's okay to drink a little liquor, a little, liquor, a little, little wine? And I said, I drink all I want to drink. They said, you do? I said, yeah. I'm just drinking from a different fountain now. Praise God. Amen. I said, I ain't got time to get buzzed or, or I don't need to feel a buzz to feel good about my, I don't need a little wine for my stomach's sake. I'm tired of trying to hijack that scripture too. Can you say amen? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be you filled with the Holy Ghost singing with spiritual songs and making melody in your heart you get high on the Holy Ghost you don't need nothing else uh, let, me, let me show you this first of all it says it was a word that Isaiah saw concerning God's people 
And he said, it'll come to pass in the last days that the, the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house, his kingdom, is going to be exalted in the top of the mountains, be exalted above, above the hills, and all the nations are going to flow to it. And many people will come and say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us. This is talking about God's favor and his anointing. Are you ready? Not so much on the nation of Israel as it is on the kingdom of God or the church world in the last dispensation until the coming of the Lord and then God will bless Israel in the midst of that tribulation. That's, that's eschatology and it's right. Can you say amen? But here's what God was saying. And many people say, let's go to the, to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways. We'll walk in his paths and out of Zion shall go forth the law of Jerusalem. He'll judge among the nations. He'll rebuke many people. Amen. Those that wanted to come against him will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks or sharp knives. And then nations shall not lift up sword against nation and neither will they learn war anymore. Now, listen, this is such a powerful a portion of scripture. God wants us to understand something, that the nature of the world is to war. I mean, there's always been wars throughout Bible history, throughout any history of the world that you study. Nations trying to conquer. That's, That's the satanic nature. That's the empirical nature. That's the Babylon nature the Medo-Persian nature, the Greek nature under Alexander the Great, the Roman nature that was the cruelest empire perhaps the world had ever saw was even prevalent in the day of Jesus. It was the Romans that fashioned the cross that killed the Son of God. But they did it at the behest of the Jews. But they did it for me. Do you understand? It was the plan of God. But Isaiah says, I want you to understand that I see a time when even the world will turn to God if we stay faithful to the word. I, I know we've got an election coming up and, and you, need to, you need to vote the right way. Amen. You need to vote biblical principles and concepts. You need to vote yes on amendment number two because it's pro-life and it's anti-abortion, and I believe God is pro-life. Can somebody agree with me on that? Amen? Come on. But go ahead. And it's important that you vote, but it's more important that you have the idea of priority. Can you say amen? It's more important that you, that you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about the principle of priority. Isaiah's saying, I know where we are. I know what we're in, but I saw something that God saw, amen? Uh, You can see what God is saying. Amos 3 and 6 said, shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? He said, surely the Lord will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. There's a principle here. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. How many of you see things crop up or things pop up and when everybody else is saying how wonderful it is, there's something in your spirit that says, oh God, no. That's God, can you say amen? 
The Holy Spirit points out those things that he's letting his people know what's going on. In John 15 and 15, Jesus said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father. I've made them known to you. You have not chosen me, amen, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. What's Jesus saying? He's, he's saying, listen, I, you're not servants, you're friends. I'll make you known. I'll let you be known to you what God is doing. I'll let you know what's going on. I've chosen you. I've ordained you. Go out and bring forth fruit. And whatever you pray, it's going to happen. God needs a church that can get prayers through. Is this all right? God doesn't need a church that's got some smooth-talking, you know, limp-wristed preacher standing up in front of them saying, you're okay, I'm okay, baby. Whatever you want to do, you just go ahead and do it and God will understand it. Grace covers it. No, God wants you to live in such a way that when you pray, he can answer. Is this all right? The world needs us to be an in-tune church that understands the principle of priority that lives right, that walks right, that knows the word of God, that hears the voice of God and what the world is running crazy over, there'll be times we'll have to stand against it because God's priority is first. Amen. But listen, let me just meddle a little. I've been doing this too long to be more concerned about being seeker-friendly than I am about concerned about the will of God. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm a friendly preacher, and I'm a seeker. I'm after people. Are you hearing me? But not at the expense of compromising God's priorities. Is that all right? Preacher called me from North Carolina this week. He said, Pastor Moody. I said, Hey, brother. He said, I, I need to ask you something about your organization, about you. I said, Well, just go on and ask me. And he started questioning me about some of the stuffs in the world. They said, Where do you stand on it? I said, I'm going to be like the old holiness preacher that I used to know stood up and said, I'm again it. He said, What? I said, I'm again it. He said, What does that mean? I said, In hillbilly vernacular, it means I'm against it. Man, it's wrong. It's sin. He said, I might just join your organization. I said, well, just come on in. Praise God. Hallelujah. You see, Isaiah saw this. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 7, Paul said, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. If the leaders of this world had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Are you hearing me? We, Paul said, we know stuff they don't know. Paul said, I was part of the Sanhedrin, but Jesus revealed things I didn't know. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And the law, touching the law, I was blameless. But still, I was holding Stephen's clothes when they stoned him to death. And Jesus had to knock me off my horse. And I've said that preaching before. There's a lot of people need to get knocked off their high horse, can you say amen? And get humble so they can hear God. So now Paul's saying, 
I want you to understand, if we'd have known what was going on, we would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written, eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of the man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Amen. That's not talking about when we get to heaven. That's talking about here. God has prepared some things for the church that the world cannot receive. Can I get a witness? There are gifts and callings and anointings. There's, there's moves of God. There's, there's interventions of the Holy Ghost. There are things that God will do that the world will never understand. Are you? Because the carnal mind is not subject to the things of God, neither indeed can be. I'm trying to help somebody tonight. There's a principle of priority. Your priority is Jesus. Your priority is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Your priority is what thus saith the Lord. Your priority is God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Can I get a witness? The principle of priority is the more I seek him, the more I get after him, the more he's going to reveal to me. Amen. God has showed me things that I could have never figured out without his glory. Amen. God has revealed them unto us, verse 10 says, by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So Isaiah saw these things. And he said, it's going to come to pass in the last days, verses 2 through 4, this mountain of God's house, this, this kingdom is going to be exalted. People will go and say, come, let's, let's go to this place. Amen. Uh, for the house of God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways. He'll, we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Listen, I never want Pentecost to be a bunch of messed up madness that scares people to death. But I do want Pentecost to be so powerful that it scares them to death. Scares them to a cross. Scares them to a death to the flesh. Scares them or whatever you want to call it. Motivates them to a place to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Amen. To be filled with the spirit. To operate in the spirit. To be searched by the spirit. Come on. We need everything the Holy Ghost has to offer us. So he said in the last days. You know, God is always talking about the last days. Uh, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 28, he was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar because he had this dream and nobody could interpret it. The head of gold, the arm and shoulders of silver, gold, Babylon, arm of silver, meat of Persia, belly and thighs of brass, which was Greece, two legs of iron, which is the two divisions of the Roman Empire, and then two feet of mire and toes of miry clay and iron mixed, which are the ten uh, kings of the, of, the, of the Antichrist kingdom of the last days. And that stone hewn out of the mountain smote it, wiped out the empire system, and then Jesus' kingdom was exalted. Woo, that's Bible prophecy in a nutshell. And it's so cool. I was talking to a Muslim one time. He said, that Bible is not true. You cannot prove it. I said, yes, I can. I said, if Daniel can talk to Nebuchadnezzar and prophesy world empires to a, with precision that we were yet to come, that convinces me that's the word of God. Amen. I said, but there's many other things. 
He said, you don't know it personally. I said, yes, I do. Jesus said, when I get to heaven, I'm sending back the Holy Ghost. I said, sir, he's here. He lives here. Praise. How many, how many is glad you know it's real? The Quran doesn't offer that. Amen. None of the other writings of the Hindus or, or Buddha, you know, they're building this $5 million temple up the road and they got millions of gods and they're still lost. And I say that with a broken heart. But in the last days, he, he said, there, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, there's a God in heaven. Does anybody believe that tonight? How many can say, oh, glory, God is on the throne. I mean, that's it. I know it. I'm good. I'm, can I say it now? I'm okay. You're okay. God's on the throne as long as we serve him. But he said, there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. And thy dream and the visions upon your head are these. And then he went on and explained it to him. Can I tell you that this passage here about the nations flowing uh, to the God of Israel, about the beating their uh, swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, it's, it's identical to Micah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, almost identical words. The passage is so important that God revealed it to both of these prophets. Now, now watch this. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills. People shall flow unto it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord return from Jerusalem. He'll judge the nations uh, among many people, rebuke strong nations afar off, and shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Why did God say it twice? Do you understand that when God says something once, it's powerful? When God says something twice, it's unchangeable. Glory. And, and that tells me, Brother Rob, that in these last days, I don't care about, well, I do care, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not scared of political corruption, which is everywhere. I'm not scared of, of the brainwashing that's going on of, of a society by Hollywood. Are you hearing me? And, and trying to cram a, 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 an alternate lifestyle down the throats of our young people and tell them it's normal. I will stand up and tell them it's sin. And sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you can pay, and keep you longer than you aim to stay. And the wages of sin is death. Amen. The end of, the end of sin is eternal death in a lake of fire. I'm going to preach to them, repent, get out of that. God will save you. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Bonhoeffer preached it in Hitler's Germany. And Hitler said, uh, they, uh, they, he called all the leading preachers of the nation together and he said, don't you worry about the soul of Germany. You just take care of your little congregation. I've come to save the soul of Germany. And all the rest of the preachers shrunk back and Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and looked at him and said, sir, the soul of the people is the business of God and we're his agents. They put him in prison and he played piano. They hung him with a piano wire and killed him, but he died and his writings and his preaching, amen, survived even though he didn't. And Germany later turned back to God. Can you say amen? So all of a sudden, God's saying twice, I know the last day is going to be trouble. But Hammy, here's what God's saying. He said, don't worry. I've got this. Seek me. 
Keep your priorities straight. Because in these last days, can I say this? I'm not a novice at this. I had a call this week, and I won't be too specific because we're online. But I had a call this week to come to a place where they're trying to help people. And they're professionals. And they have government funding to do what they're doing. And they said, but we need help. I said, what's wrong? He said, there's something in our place, in our building. We walk in and hear voices. And there's eerie feelings. And I kept investigating. And I found out that there's brought one in that's a Satanist. Some other things have come in. He said, what do you think it is? I said, I know what it is. It's a stinking devil. He said, will you come deal with it? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah. In the last days, I want you to watch this. Brother Nick, in the entirety of the Old Testament, there's very few things that we can point at and say they were demon-possessed. Very few things. A couple of three, I can name them. But by the time Jesus shows up, everywhere he goes, people are demon-possessed. In the tombs of Gadara, one man had a legion, depending on whose interpretation you read, maybe as many as 12,000 demons resident in one man. Strongholds, women built over with spirits of infirmity, deaf and dumb spirits, ripping a young man apart till he falls in the fire, dead, and Jesus has a resurrected. Demonic activity, everywhere Jesus went, he had to cast out devils. He had to silence devils. I love it when he went to Gadara and he said, have you come to torment us before our time? And Jesus said, shut up. You ain't got a right to talk to me. He didn't say that, but that's what he was saying. And I believe that now we're going to see the reason why there was all these demons when Jesus came the first time. Are you ready? Satan knows Bible prophecy. He heard God say back in the, in the genesis of time to Eve when they fell, and he cursed the serpent. He'd have to crawl on his belly. That was a type of Satan. He, he heard that, the, that salvation would come through the seed of a woman in childbirth. Well, a woman doesn't have seed. That was a prophecy of the virgin birth. So then Satan unleashed his hordes. The Bible said, the fallen angels, the sons of, of God that fell, those demons, they became demons and they embodied themselves like men and they took unto them the daughters of man and they cohabitated. It was fornication, spiritual fornication and physical and there were giants born unto them. The righteous seed was corrupted. It got to the place that God said, I'm sorry that I made mankind. I'm going to destroy them from the face of the earth. I'm going to send a flood and wipe them out. But it said he found a man, one man. And the Bible said he was a just man, a righteous man. But more importantly than that, it said he was perfect in his generations. You could trace his genealogy, his mothers and his fathers, all the way back to righteous Seth. The seed had not been corrupted. You understand what Satan was trying to do with those, with those 
demons and those giants was corrupt the seed to stop the Messiah from coming. But one man by the name of Noah found grace in the eyes of God and he moved with fear and built an ark that was prepared an ark to the saving of his household. Are you with me? To save that pure line because from him, amen, after they came off the ark, his sons would go out and they would scatter and there would be different nations and out of them, are you hearing me, there would come the, amen, Israel and the tribe of Judah and the Messiah. I'm telling you, this is all the plan of God. So, so God has this principle of priority. He says, you've got to put me first. You cannot embrace the stuff the world embraces. Now, let me hurry. In verse 5, he says, house of Israel, house of Jacob, can I say it, chosen people, church, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. What is the light of the Lord? The light of the Lord is truth. It's truth. Psalm 26 and 1, David said, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I've trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my reins and my heart. Make sure I'm harnessed upright. For thy loving kindness is before my eyes. I have walked in truth. Psalm 86 and 10, he says, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. You know one of the reasons I serve God? I serve him because he loves me. But I serve him because I'm afraid not to. Brian was talking about God will whoop you. Who knows what a whooping is? That's not a spanking. There's a difference in a spanking and a whooping. Amen. Some of you watching my internet just had a heart attack. Call 911. I'll never whip my child. I know they'll whoop you one day. My old daddy died. I was still scared of him. And that was a healthy thing. I loved him dearly, but I knew he could reach and get you. Amen. Let me go on. Second John verse four said, "I rejoice greatly that I found of your children walking in truth, as we have received commandment from the Father." Third John chapter three, he said, "I, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that's in you, and uh, even as you walk in truth." Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear my children, my spiritual sons and daughters. John was saying, "Walk in truth." Come on, brother Nick. What is the principal priority. I want you to put that scripture back up there if you can, Matthew 6, 33. But seek you first. Read it with me out loud. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The next verse says, take no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil or the trouble thereof. Matthew 6.22 said the, the, the eye is the light of the body. If your eye is single, your focus is good, your whole body will be full of light. This is a day of distress and trouble in the world. We have to stay focused on the one with whom we have to do with Jesus. Stand with me, would you? Hebrews 12 and 2, Paul said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I saw a thing today about Jim Caviezel. He's an actor. He's an avowed Christian. He was Jesus in the passion of the Christ. The crucifixion scene took a couple of years to make, months. Jim Caviezel had a shoulder dislocated, bones broke. When they were whipping him, they didn't put the protection on right, and he had a large laceration of 16, 18 stitches. He hung on a cross almost naked in that cold temperature for hours and got pneumonia. He had to have two open-heart surgeries after making the passion. He was warned by his agents, if you do this movie, you'll never get another role. But he said, trying to portray what the Savior did is more important. Isn't that amazing? There was more to the story. I didn't write it down, but if we get distracted, we can miss our promised land or at least the greater blessings that God has prepared for us right now. It only took 10 men to discourage the whole nation of Israel. Joshua and Caleb went in with them. It only took 10 to discourage the whole nation from receiving their promised land. They rebelled so much that even Moses got frustrated and smote the rock the second time and missed out on the promised land. We have to, in this day, pay attention to the details of our instructions. It's necessary that we stay focused. God wants us to put him first in all things. The principle of priority. He told Adam and Eve, don't look at that tree. Don't eat from it. You'll die. He spoke to Cain and said, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Put me first. Do what I want. And Cain went back and killed his own brother. God gave us commandments 2,500 years after that. And you know what he said? You shall have no other gods before me. That's priority. God is not some vain, potentate despot. He's God who made all of this earth, but he also made heaven for you. And everything else that tries to turn you away from God is the plan of the devil to keep you out of heaven. Is this all right? The principle, the priority. He had order in the tabernacle. It had to be done a certain way. He had order in the offerings and sacrifices and the worship, yet motives were and are everything to God. Seek first the kingdom of God. If we seek God first, not only will he provide for us the necessary things we need. He provides richly for us. Can I tell you there are whole nations that live in desperate poverty because their forefathers rejected the gospel. Islam came along 600 years after Christ. 
Egypt at that time was a Christian nation. But under the pressure of Islam, they surrendered their sovereignty and their faith to Islam. And today, their pharaohs are nobodies. Are you hearing me? They're not even important in the world. I don't mean to be unkind. But I'm telling you, the principle of priority pays off. How many's glad you live for Jesus? How many have got people that you know and love that started out to serve the Lord, but they lost sight of their priorities? We all do. Breaks my heart. Preachers that started out with me have backslid. Some have died away from God. Did they go to heaven or not? That's not my call, but they wasted their life. You hear me? They wasted their life for nothing. Because compared to heaven, everything here is going to burn up after a while. It doesn't matter how nice your home is, how big your bank account is, how great your retirement portfolio is. Don't get too attached to it. Because when God gets done, it will all be laying in a pile of ashes. But there will be a new heaven and a new earth for those who honor the principle of priority and put Jesus first. Is this all right? Do you know him tonight? Are you serving him? If you know people that are not, let's do all we can to encourage them to follow after the Lord. Father, we hope you enjoyed this message today. Our church is located off Barnes Mill Road at 330 Mule Shed Lane, Richmond, Kentucky. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Our 11 a.m. service is live streamed on Facebook. Children's church services are also available at the 11 a.m. service. On Wednesday, we have kids ministry beginning at 6.30 p.m. with adult services held at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Have a blessed day.